0: Uh, So we're in the middle of a little series here. Well, actually, this is the the end of a series um, on... Embracing God's plan for spiritual growth. Uh, What we've done over the course of the series was just to identify um, the sort of key things that are uh, catalysts for us in terms of causing us to actually grow spiritually. Uh, We could have an approach as a church to spiritual growth, which would mean take a class and we're going to prescribe these lessons for you and this is uh, the way in which you grow. And that's actually a part of it, right? We really believe in practical teaching as one of the things that cause uh, spiritual growth but beyond that there's more there's it's important for us as believers to have sort of personal private disciplines if we want to grow we have a life with God that nobody else sees where we're deep in relationship with him uh, the other place that we obviously grow is with experience in ministry and service like you are never more teachable than when you're way over your head right? That's when you learn is when you're like, holy smokes, I'm leading a home church for the first time ever. I have no idea. I've never even, I don't know what to do. Or, or you're at home church or you're somewhere like that. And somebody says, Hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you uh, pray and bless the food? I mean, I've, I've walked with people through moments of their first ever out loud prayer. Right, that's a growth moment for a person. Uh, so, so being put into ministry, being put into service uh, in, in all kinds of different ways is something that causes us to grow. If you look back at your life, you'll see those are growth moments for you. Uh, another area of growth that's really important is just serendipitous relationships, people uh, connecting with people. God sends people into our lives, and so often that's out of our control. We don't get to choose who those people are uh, sometimes, but God brings people into our lives sometimes as, as grace grows growers and sometimes it's people who are mentors and, and people who are, are going to just teach us and grow us and bless us. And then uh, this thing that we're talking about today is uh, um, catalytic circumstances, um, that sometimes the events of life just um, happen in a way that, uh, that, that change us and cause us to really wrestle. So this formulation of these sort of five things, I just don't wanna take credit for the form of the series that this is uh, coming out of some teaching from Andy Stanley in terms of identifying those five things. So just his name's there, just so I'm giving credit where credit is due. Um, So uh, the the object of all this is what, right? Uh, Spiritual maturity, that sounds boring. It does sound boring to be like spiritual mature, spiritually mature. I think it's a good thing, but when somebody who's spiritually mature is like an old person up on a mountain and you got to go visit them and talk with them about Jesus. But, but spiritual maturity is really a, about being people with big faith. People with enduring faith, and the, ident- the the definition that we've been working with is a spiritual maturity, or people of big faith are people who know Jesus in a way that's characterized by enduring faith. People who uh, go through the storms of life and come out uh, still believing, still understanding, still holding on to the truths that we've learned, and and having a heart-to-heart connection with God. Uh, of course additional to that, it's, it's being people who want to imitate him, people who want to become like him, uh, who are being transformed, who are beginning to act more and more and more like how we see Jesus acting in the New Testament. And of course, the third thing is we, we don't want to just uh, be like him. We want to do the stuff he did. We wanna be people who join him in his mission. And so if we're a person who has faith that endures the challenges, uh, we're becoming more like Christ and we're constantly joining him in his mission to go out and reach uh, the world and connect with people and serve people and serve in the church and all of these things, then we're people who are growing. So that's our definition, that's our target. Um, and so today, of course, we're talking about catalytic circumstances, those things that happen in our lives that cause us uh, to grow. I just wanna ask a question just so that you can contextualize this for yourself. And we'll just have a moment of silence just for you to reflect. Do you remember a time in your life when something happened completely out of your control that forced you into a place of having your state of being challenged? I am the way I am right now. I'm doing the stuff I'm doing. Life is pretty good. It's okay. And then something in your life happens where you are at odds with your circumstances where you're at odds with the reality around you and something in you uh, has to shift, has to change, has to grow. Let's just take a moment and just uh, bring our own stories into the sermon. Lord, I just ask that you would speak in this moment. We, we don't want this talk to be uh, something that's purely cognitive, something that's just uh, information coming at us. We want this to be uh, something that gets to our hearts, Lord. As we read the scriptures uh, later on in the talk, uh, God, I ask that the word would work in us in a supernatural way. Uh, again, we love how it forms our worldview. We love how it forms our thinking. But we ask for it to work also in that mystical way that rewrites your laws on our hearts. Uh, We want to be responsive to your word like that. So Father, just in this moment, just release memory to people so that they would remember what it's like being in those moments of challenge. and just help them to walk through this talk uh, with their own story. Uh, one of the stories is really sort of important to me and it's something that's uh, obviously quite present uh, to me just in this moment. This last week is the uh, anniversary of, uh, eighth year anniversary of the passing of my good friend, uh, Robert Hall. And many of you would know uh, this story. Uh, it's, uh, it's something that's familiar to a lot of us and we've shared it in, in different ways. But Rob Hall uh, was a friend of mine from high school, somebody that Anna grew up with, Craig Hall's uh, brother, um, somebody that we knew and that we loved, uh, my first uh, connection with Rob was actually here in this high school. I was a student at Carlton Place High School, and I actually met, I remember the first moment I ever met Rob, and it was just down the hall out there, sort of near the foyer. I was just walking down the hall, and uh, and he'd seen me around, and, and I'd sort of moved here from Edmonton. I was trying to sort of find my place in the school. I didn't know anybody yet, and this guy came up and tapped me on the shoulder and said, are, are you a Christian? And that was my first connection uh, with a Christian friend. And Brent came very, very closely after that. You may even been part of that same conversation uh, where I had moved to Ontario in this crazy place and, uh, and was sort of lost and sort of drifting into a life that wasn't going to be good for me. But Rob uh, came and tapped me on the shoulder and, and became my friend. And we had a great uh, run through high school. I remember we would run uh, down to Tim Hortons at lunch break. We'd eat our lunches on the way. We'd go to Tim Hortons. We would get a dozen donuts. Brent was on this adventure. I remember that, and we would we we shared a dozen donuts between the three of us, and so I pounded four donuts each. And then we were late for class and ran back with all of our lunch and four donuts in our bellies and a, probably a large double double or something like that. And we were just ready to barf at the end of it. It was a it was a bad scene. And so Rob through uh, much of my life it, uh, when I was a pastor in Toronto. Uh, uh, Rob uh, was in the middle of a courtship with this beautiful uh, woman named Kate he became a pastor at a church in Guelph and we walked together while I was a pastor in Toronto we had lunch uh, every day at uh, the fifth wheel in Milton I don't know if you've been there but it's the greasiest of all greasy spoons that you can imagine and we just had this long long friendship and when I would have uh, ad- uh, adventure dreams in my in my head I, I'm a person who has adventure dreams I'm always being chased or chasing something or whatever my dreams are apocalyptic and I have so much fun with my dreams most of the time and Rob was always in those dreams like we were going to be at the end of the world uh, in the apocalypse like hiding from people persecuting us and hiding in bunkers and all kinds of stuff Rob and I had long adventures in our minds and then Rob passed away in a construction accident in Zambia Um, and that was a circumstance that altered the lives of myself and of a lot of people who knew and loved Rob and a lot of the people who said he was their best friend who were wrong because I was his best friend. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That was a uh, life-altering event. It was something that forced us to look at life in a new and different way. And, and so much more uh, than my experience, Craig's experience as his brother and, and Craig's dad's experience and, uh, and, and Rob's uh, wife's experience, Kate, is a circumstance that, that forced us to grapple with some really big questions about who God is and what his sovereignty means and, and how to respond and how to walk uh, through life uh, together. And here is Kate now. Uh, Kate is now married to a man named Tom who looks eerily like Rob, but I haven't said that to her clearly yet. But uh, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, godly man. He's an Anglican priest, and they're living in Texas, of all things, uh, living a life that is like ours, full of joy and struggle and, and all of that. And and what's what's remarkable about Kate is that uh, when, when suffering happens, there are some people that come through it in a way that uh, it, it causes you to become closed, it causes you to become... Uh, uh, bitter, It causes you to shrink as a person. That's something that happens sometime to us in our journey. But Kate is a person through who enormous pain and enormous brokenness and enormous grief came out as a person who loves Jesus more deeply than she did before. And in a more beautiful way than, than, than I think I can actually even imagine. So the question for us is how does that happen? And it's not just grief and it's not just death. Sometimes it's it's loss, it's injury, it's people going through divorce, it's spiritual oppression. It can be long-term sickness. It could be a demotion at work. It can be being slandered or betrayed. Uh, it can be just disappointment with the trajectory of your life. It can be persecution or judgment coming against you or just the hardships of life. Your, your finances go down the tube because the stock market crashed. It could be any of those things but something happens to us in our lives that force us to grapple with some really big questions. And when those catalytic circumstances happen, we have a number of different things that we can do with it and a number of different directions that we can go Uh, and answers to the question of what is happening to me right now in that moment. Uh, One of those is uh, from a sort of a Christian theological perspective, God is sovereign. God did this to me. One of them is, uh, if you're if you're lean more towards an Armenian position, it's uh, the mystery of sin in the world and pain in the world and um, uh, the spiritual forces that we wrestle with. Uh, the devil did it or whoever did it. It happened because of the fall. Um, in some cases, it's um, God doesn't care. You might be here, and you might just imagine, hey, I believe in God, but, but to you, he's someone who is just distant, and you're kind of irrelevant to him. And, and for some of you, you're like, I, I don't even think he exists at all. When that catalytic moment happens, uh, though almost everybody that I know in the journey comes to that point of question, what about God in the midst of all of this? What about him in the midst of this? Uh, these top two, this this questioning between God, uh, did God do it? Did people do it? That's one of the really fascinating pieces uh, for me in, in my journey, especially around the passing of, of my friend Rob. Uh, my friend Todd uh, is uh, uh, a man of God that I love. He pastors a church in Guelph. Uh, we've had a, a long journey, don't see uh, nearly enough of each other. But because of the nature of the funeral, uh, because of how uh, widely Rob was known and how much, how cared for uh, he was as a person. We ended up having a funeral up in Ottawa and a funeral down in southern Ontario and uh, two speakers, three speakers, four speakers. I don't know, there's a pile of speakers at the funeral. And the way Todd grappled with the passing of Rob was uh, as, as a, with a strong, strong view of the sovereignty of God uh, with uh, something approaching more of a Calvinist uh, position. His way of grappling with it and helping us grapple with it was God took Rob out. Why? How do we understand this as a good thing, as something that happened under the sovereignty of God that causes us to grow in him and, and, and lead? How did God weave that together? And me being someone who leans to more of an Arminian position, uh, my position is like, man, Rob was really bad with power tools. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and the, the, the tools that he was working with were not high quality tools. It's a sign of brokenness, it's a sign of the fall. But God coming out of that will redeem it and make it awesome and make it new and work an evil together uh, for the ultimate good. And you might be uh, for in, in, in on either side of that where, where Todd and I were at, coming at it and trying to understand it from different perspectives, regardless of whether you're a Calvinist and Arminian, where Todd and I came together on that was that we were both absolutely 100% clear on the intention and heart of God. Whether he was working his will sovereignly in doing that or whether it was a brokenness in the world that made that happen, however, that mystery of it all works together what Todd and I were absolutely convinced of and what caused both Todd and I to grow through this and not come through it in a way that made us uh, dark and bitter was that we knew that somehow in the midst of it, God loves. God absolutely loves that his intention toward us was good and he was working things toward good. And once you've come to that place, maybe you've been able to lay down uh, your, your unbelief, like God it, it exists for you and he actually cares and he actually loves, uh, that brings uh, another question to us. How do we respond to suffering? How do we respond to that stimulus? And in our stream of churches, there are typically two sort of ways that we would do that. Uh, Within a a conservative evangelical framework, uh, just to break that down for you for a second, evangelical, depending on where you're coming from, might be a bad word, but evangelicals are really just Christians who believe that the story of Jesus is of ultimate importance and it's a story that ought to be shared, regardless of all kinds of different theological nuances among uh, evangelical uh, communities in Canada and around the world. Uh, evangelicals uh, who uh, don't have a Holy Spirit or a charismatic experience in a time of suffering, in a time of pain, would sort of emphasize the fruit of the Spirit. God is going to transform me through this suffering. He's going to uh, do something in us that, that makes us new. He's going to form our character. And he's going to be present to us in our suffering. He's going to be near us. He's going to care for us. He's going to comfort us. Uh, and, and that we were going to experience healing and growth through that process, in, in particular through the engagement of the scriptures. And I know we don't want to make really hard lines between what er- evangelical Christianity is and charismatic Christianity is, but but that's sort of the heart of it. When I was growing up as a Baptist kid, uh, there was this guy in the community who was suffering from cancer, and he was somebody that we all loved, um, and, uh, and I remember going to a prayer meeting, and we were praying, and I was just beginning to have an experience with the holy spirit some of you heard me tell this story before and i remember us praying for almost an hour after the service for him and we prayed for uh the wisdom for the doctors and comfort for the family and uh, for the resources they needed to uh to to get treatment and all of these sort of things around it but not once in the midst of that did we pray for healing for God to actually intervene and deliver him from those circumstances. Uh, If you're in a charismatic church, and that's your sort of background, um, you would believe more than in the fruit of the Spirit, but you would emphasize the gifts of the Spirit. That we need to engage uh, the gift of healing and the gift of prophecy and spiritual gifts and fight against the sickness with everything that we have and fight for the miracle. We would believe that our faith for miracles is important. Uh, We believe in deliverance from suffering, that Jesus might just take that pain and he might just lift us out of it and set us free uh, in a radical and powerful way. That God's not about us growing through suffering. He's about fixing everything more than more than other things, right? Um, that we would experience in the midst of it the presence of the Holy Spirit in a tangible way. So are we evangelicals? Are we charismatics? What do we believe? What do I believe as a pastor? What are we hoping to do as, in, in the Vineyard Church? We are charismatic evangelicals. Uh, along with lots of other groups in Canada too. We believe in the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in character and in miracles. We believe in God's presence and deliverance. We believe in the Word and the Spirit. And we want to have those things all working and operating together. So how do we do it? How do we deal with that moment when suffering comes, when we're in the middle of that struggle? When we suffer, we are right to fight against it with prayer and with all the power that God releases in and through his church. We are right to uh, see that the gifts are engaged. We are right to do intercession. We are right to pray for healing. We are right to uh, fight in that way. And while we are fighting, no matter how long it takes, we are right to understand that God works through suffering to produce Christ-likeness in his children. These two things aren't mutually exclusive. These two things aren't two things that we are holding in tension with one another. It's part of the journey. We fight while God transforms us. We are transformed as we fight for the miracle. We're going fully for both, for the very best of what's going on. Uh, We can be content in any situation, even as we devote our heart's effort to changing it. Whoa. (laughs) Isn't that hard? (laughs) To hold that two things together. I am sick. I am wrestling with illness. I am in the hospital. I'm struggling with cancer. I'm going to fight this with everything I've got. And I'm going to accept the transformation that the Lord wants to work in my heart through it at the same time. It's a both-and situation. And Paul talks about this in Philippians. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Hunger and need, sickness, health, abundance, plenty, having nothing. Nothing. So we can accept the transformative work that God does through suffering while we fight for the miracle. Uh, James uh, outlines as far as we we looked at this passage when we were sort of earlier in the process. I think on the on the week we did we introduced the this series. Uh, James chapter one two to four says this: Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And what uh, what it was felt really important for me to unpack, just in in, in re. Uh, engaging with this particular scripture is whenever you face trials of many kinds, uh, the language there is, is something really beautiful. It's not a passive thing to face trials. It's not a, um, uh, uh, a hiding. It's not a in the fetal position. It's not with your head in the sand. It's you are in the middle of trials and you are engaged in the struggle and you are engaged uh, seeking the presence of Jesus in the midst of it. And you know that the testing of that faith produces something. And so to really see that and to see where that came from in the writings of the early uh, church fathers, to see where that came from in the writings of Paul, in the writings later of Peter, I want us to look, of course, uh, to the story of Jesus and look at the story of the resurrection of Lazarus, because we see this incredible process unfolding uh, from the perspective of Jesus, from the perspective of Martha and Mary. Uh, Some of you know the story. Some of you will be familiar with it if you've grown up in the church. If you haven't grown up in the church, you're not. Not going to be as familiar with it, but uh, Lazarus was a great friend of Jesus. Uh, he and his sisters were uh, supporters of Jesus' ministry. They supported them financially. They supported them by hospitality. Sometimes they followed them around. Uh, Jesus and his disciples—they were right in the midst. They were really close to Jesus. And, and at one point in the journey, Jesus is away somewhere on a little mission trip, he's, he's caring for people, he's doing the Jesus thing, and, uh, and it turns out that Lazarus comes down and he gets sick, and ultimately Lazarus uh, dies while Jesus is away, and Mary is not too happy with that. Uh, and how that all goes. Uh, but when Jesus comes back, of course, in the story, uh, Lazarus is raised from the dead. And we have a big party. And it's all good. How many of you like that big party at the end of all these stories, right? We're in the tough part right now. Hang with me. The party's coming. Uh, so in John 11, it says this. It says, um, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, uh, the village of Mary and her sis- sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. What Mary's doing here is she's fighting for the miracle, right? She's fighting for Jesus to come into her situation that is filled with grief and pain and longing for Jesus to intervene. And she's just pulling out whatever tricks she can pull out. Like, hey, Jesus, remember that's the one you loved? right you remember you you really like him like I've seen you Jesus you've you've healed uh people you didn't even know there's this guy named Bartimaeus and and you didn't even know who he was you didn't even know his name but he called out to you and you stopped the whole procession and you went and healed him and and Jesus you know there's this woman with the issue of blood you you touched her you yeah she just came up to you and her her cloak. Uh, She touched your cloak and, and she was healed of her thing. Jesus, you healed her. But this is Lazarus. This is someone you love. And she is pulling strings. And that's what we do when we hit suffering, when we hit pain. We're like, how many of you do that? You just cite the reasons why Jesus should heal you, right? Okay, I give to church fairly faithfully, I attend church fairly often, uh, I, uh, I, I, I did some good things, I led some people to Jesus one time, and I did this and I did this, can you notice me, can you see me, I know that you really love me, uh, can I have your attention please, over here, hey Jesus, right, we do that, and that's okay, that's part of the journey, like seeking his intervention in the midst of the stuff that we're wrestling with. Um, And so Jesus, of course, hears this impassioned appeal uh, because uh, Mary has sent a representative to tell this to Jesus, uh, go and get him. Uh, Lazarus is sick. Go get Jesus. Get him here. We need him here right now. So she sends a messenger and Jesus responds like this. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. It's for God's glory. whoa this is something really hard and really difficult for us to grapple with that something bad can happen to us and it be for the glory and the goodness of God that the purpose in our suffering, and now that is not a thing that you say to a friend who is suffering, (laughs) right? Well, that's just for the glory of God, brother, your cancer there, just, right? That's why like theologically, I acknowledge some mystery in how all of that works, right? But there is a way in which Jesus, in this particular circumstance, he was okay with that understanding that what is happening here is for his glory. The why is complex, but the suffering and the purpose of suffering can include the will of God. And so, uh, again, Jesus is responding to this messenger, man, uh, this one that I, I love is sick. Uh, This one that I care for is really ill. Um, I've got a text and and they've called and they've emailed and they're posting now on social media. I had somebody trying to get a hold of me through the church's uh, website and and, and email and it wasn't getting to me fast enough. All of a sudden they're like posting on the church's Facebook page. Like we do what we can to make contact, get in touch. And and so, so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. I promise you that if we're honest, that you have felt that before. A sense of urgency around the suffering that you're enduring and the pain that you're going through, a sense that this has to get fixed right now. I can't take any more. Jesus, where are you? For some reason, Jesus, you are delaying. For some reason, Jesus, this is taking longer than I want it to take. Jesus, make the hurting stop right now. Make this miracle happen right now. The reality is, is that suffering for us would not be suffering if it was over instantaneously all the time. It's just not. The suffering that we endure, the struggles that we endure, maybe it's struggles in our relationships, maybe it's uh, the pain of divorce, maybe it's uh, the pain of grief, maybe it's sickness, whatever it is. There is a time factor that is involved that we have to as humans wrestle with. Something in the economy of Jesus often seems to take a lot longer than we want it to take. And so uh, Mary and Martha are wrestling with this in that moment. Uh, The disciples begin to ask the question like, Jesus, why aren't you responding? Why aren't you going? Uh, There's stuff that we need to do here. He's sick, but maybe we should go. Maybe we shouldn't go. There's a discussion, and we're just skipping over those verses. But Jesus basically says, he tells them plainly, he says, you know what, Lazarus is actually dead. He he's died. You guys don't have up-to-date information. Somehow Jesus has up-to-date information from the Father. He he's always got he's always hooked on to Wi-Fi. Um, but then he says this, he says, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Oh you're glad, Jesus? Are you glad that my brother is sick? Are you glad that he had a fever that killed him? Are you glad that you were hanging out two days away while this was happening to me? What gladness, Jesus, could you possibly have over this thing that I am going through? And it's explained in the text because what is happening is somehow for your sake. The only thing that we can imagine logically when we're in a period of suffering, when we're a period of waiting, and we're trying to grapple with the time frame, why Jesus isn't coming now when we think he ought to come, the only thing that we can possibly imagine is that the gift given through suffering must be a better thing than the life we might have had without it. That's the logical belief when we uh, accept the idea that God, in his sovereignty, in his care, loves us. The gladness of God is a gladness over the better thing. What is the better thing in the economy of God? than us being delivered from pain, than us having a life of comfort, than us having uh, to wrestle with suffering. He says this, he finishes the sentence, for your sake I am glad I am not there so that you may believe. For Jesus, somehow on the scales of how he weighs all of this stuff that we go through, Somehow, for him, the idea that we would have an intimate, faith filled, believing relationship with him is more valuable than the idea of us being delivered from our suffering. He wants something rock solid in our life with him. He wants something uh, that is going to uh, go with us uh, beyond the suffering through the miracle and on to eternity. We cannot, we just honestly do not have an easy time uh, feeling that or experiencing that or finding the joy of that in the middle of suffering. But there is some way in which that belief, that faith, that hope that is growing on us is a thing that makes Jesus glad. Remember we read earlier, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. There is a way in the economy of God from the perspective of God, and don't tell this to your suffering friend, just be happy. There's a way in which there is a thing that can be happening that can make life even better than we might have imagined. Uh, just to see this again in the story of Peter, right? Peter was there, he was present. He was with the 12 disciples as they're engaging with this, as they're making all these decisions later on in his life, Peter's writing, and he says this, he says, in, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven, genuine, Genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold may result in praise and glory and honor. These have come so that. These have come for a reason. Uh, That that, that phrase, so that, Andy Stanley points this out in in one of his other teachings, that that so that is like, and now I'm going to give you the answer. Now we're going to crack the code. Now I'm going to give you the thing that makes it all work, that makes this passage work. So that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, may result in praise and glory and honor. That there's something beautiful to be achieved on the other side. Between uh, the pain on the journey of praying for the miracle and ultimately to whatever deliverance the Lord comes, be it in this life or the next. And so the story goes on in verse 22. uh, uh, Martha says, uh, connects with Jesus. She's gone out. He's headed back. She's meeting with him outside of town. Uh, Lord, Martha says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever I ask, whatever you ask. Martha is still, even after the death of Lazarus now, fighting for the miracle. She comes to him with her frustration. And with her pain, and with her accusation. And she comes with her faith. And for us, it's just worth pausing and noting that that's okay for that to be a mix for us. That it's okay for us to be, hey, if you had done this, like, hey, Jesus, where were you? But even now, I'm fighting for the miracle. It's just legit human experience for us to uh, wrestle with those moments. Uh, and then, it, it, sorry, the wrong button. There we go. Um, if you come, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And she she proclaims the resurrection. Where she, like every Jewish person that time in space, gets the resurrection. She gets it. Ultimately, uh, he's going to rise again. Ultimately, it's going to be okay. Uh, if you come to uh, Jesus with both your frustration and your faith uh, en route to the miracle, it, it's going to be okay. Regardless of the theological understanding you have of the when, you just come. You just come to Jesus with the mess. You come to Jesus with the pain. You come to Jesus with the hope for the miracle. You come to Jesus with the theology. You come to Jesus with the whole peace, but you have to come. It's all about the coming to Jesus. Jesus responds to her with with, with the most radical thing that that you can imagine. He he, he comes to her and he says this. He says, uh, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And again, he centered around this idea that something in this trajectory is about building this place of faith, this place of relationship with Jesus. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. What Jesus is doing in this this, uh, phrase, in this sentence, is he is taking Martha and he is saying, your objective here is on the miracle. Your objective is the healing. Your objective is the result, ultimately the resurrection. That is the thing that you want. But what he's saying to her is that on that journey of getting to the result It's entirely possible that you could miss me. It's entirely possible that you could miss who I am. My identity, the identity of Jesus. And that is not something you want to miss. There is a big difference between believing in miracles and believing in the one who is the miracle. Healing isn't the objective. Your identity as someone who is held in the hands of Jesus is the objective. It's all about relationship. So Jesus, a few moments later, he sees Mary, uh, and she is weeping. And the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping. And it says this, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Uh, it's really, really important for us to know that in that space between the miracle uh, and, and the pain when it happened, that Jesus isn't distant or dispassionate, even in his uh, passion to see us grow through the suffering. He isn't distant or dispassionate through it. He enters into it with us. What does that mean for you? When it means he is near enough to give real, authentic, and meaningful comfort. It's about the relationship with him through the suffering. He is near enough to bring that comfort. It means that he is carrying it with you, that you are not carrying it by yourself. It means that you are not alone, that all the while, while he is working at his will, In the situation, he is letting himself feel everything that you felt. He is letting himself feel the pain that those ladies must have felt when Lazarus breathed his last breath. That he was there. He was there in the moment when uh, they laid him in the tomb and they were wailing. He was wailing with them. The moment that tomb rolled shut with that sense of finality and ending and grief and sorrow, he was there with them in that moment. And he was there with Kate when she heard news of Rob passing away and he was there in the pain with the children and he was there with Ken Hall And he was there. He's present in it. But we know that's not the end of the story. A few moments later, Jesus says this, take away the stone. The Lord Martha said, uh, it's not going to smell good in there. It is not going to smell good in there. This is not going to be a good moment for us. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you'll see the glory of God? You'll see the glory of God somehow on the other side of this. The glory of God often happens on the other side of the stink. The glory often comes on the other side of the mess, on the other side of the stink. That's why we stay with Jesus through the pain. Faith for miracles isn't a magic formula. It is simply a a commitment to stick with Jesus through it and to walk with him through it. So they take away the stone, and Jesus looks up, and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe you sent me. Jesus just notes uh, that this is not even just about the moment. This is about a long, long history with a God who has been moving in the world for a long time. That there is something greater here. Jesus did not want to be known as another flash in the pan Messiah that came and died. He was tying himself uh, to the Father because he knew what was coming. And it says this when he had said this, he called out in a loud, loud voice Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips, uh, strips of linen. Like, what was that like? Like it's the mummy. Like it's a crazy, crazy moment. The question I want to ask God, one of the questions I want to ask him when I come uh, before the throne is I want to ask him if he dealt with the smell first or after. Like did Jesus come out stinky or not? Like, what was that like? Like, Jesus came out of the grave. And they like, take the clothes off him, let him go. And the end result of all of this is this. And we often sort of stop that part of the story before we read this verse. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. The objective, even for Mary, wasn't just the resurrection of her brother. The objective that Jesus had even through all of this pain wasn't just the resurrection of Lazarus. His objective was the crowd who was watching all of this. There's something about that journey. As we mature, we begin to see that the tragedy and the pain that we experience on the way to the miracle isn't just something God does to us. It's something he does in us, It's something he does for us. It's something he does with us. And it's ultimately something that leads to him doing something glorious and amazing through us. And that's the gift that's more valuable than the miracle itself. Philip Yancey says this. He says this uh, there's only one thing worse than being disappointed with God and that's being disappointed without God (laughs) it's all about him in the journey it's all about his presence there no matter how much pain that we're feeling in any moment in life we win ultimately if we're in the presence of God whether the miracle comes in our lifetime or it doesn't. It's about this relationship. It's about this person. It's about this connection with him and that outweighs every bit of pain that we feel. So we just are left with uh, this thought. Are, Are you in the middle of a catalytic circumstance? Are you in the middle of a place where uh, you are fighting illness, where you're fighting struggle, where you're fighting sickness, where you're fighting pain? And and, and the question is, you know, depending on where you're at, you're either in a place of just, I'm going to endure this and let God transform me, but I'm not going to mess with any of this charismatic stuff. I'm not going to fight for the miracle. I think God wants you to grow in a passion to fight for the miracle. And if you're in this place where you are fighting for the miracle, but you're not embracing the development of character that comes through the suffering, then that's an area that God wants you to grow in. And so the question simply is, will you stick with Jesus on whichever of those trajectories are necessary for you? Let's stand Lord, this is kind of a heavy one. Um, I know there are some of us here who are struggling with real pain and real sorrow and real doubt and real grief. And there are some ways in which we are actually afraid to even ask for healing for fear of being disappointed. We're afraid of going the Holy Spirit side, the spiritual gift side, because we're, we're we're just terrified the waiting will keep being longer. Would you give any of us in that place just the courage to ask, to seek again, to be the Mary and the Martha, to send the servant to cry out as they did, hey, did you not notice this one that you love? Would you give us the courage to be seekers of your intervention, of your salvation, of your power? And as we do it, Father, would you let us embrace the time, uh, the pain, and the mystery in the middle to find the joy of transformation that comes along. Help us be okay with uh, your purpose. With you working all things together for the good of those who love you. And would you bring some real miracles? We long for the miracles, Father. We long to see healing. We long to see uh, deliverance. We long to see freedom come in a radical way. We will suffer with you uh, through it, and we will experience your comfort and your joy in the transformation. But we are still crying out for miracles, God. Let us be fighters.